Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Dr. Benjamin Rush was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, but this is not his only contribution to American history. He left behind personal perceptions of his fellow signers that add to the canon of knowledge about some of our founding fathers. Dr. John Vile, Dean of the University Honors College, has compiled those character sketches with some analysis in his latest book, A Constellation of Great Men. We'll learn even more about the men who signed the Declaration after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Three MTSU students balancing off-campus responsibilities with their full-time educational pursuits will continue their studies with financial help from the June S. Anderson Foundation. Sarah Clark, Holly LeDuc, and Samantha Sweat received full tuition scholarships from the foundation earlier this month at a special luncheon at Through the Grapevine Restaurant in Murfreesboro. Clark, a junior from Murfreesboro majoring in microbiology in MTSU's College of Basic and Applied Sciences, first applied for the Anderson stipend nine years ago. She took a break from education to raise her family, and shortly after returning to school, her husband lost his job. Clark is interested in becoming a researcher in equine parasitology. LaDuc, a senior from Murfreesboro, joined the U.S. Navy after high school. She served from 2001 to 2004 as a sonar technician on a destroyer and helped search for enemy submarines. Now LaDuc's a single mother of two boys, ages 14 and 8, and decided to major in accounting in MTSU's Jones College of Business after a stint as a bookkeeper for a local restaurant. And Sweat, a 2018 Anderson Scholarship recipient, said her family, like many across the country, still struggles with finances, and she is struggling with student loans. The senior accounting major from Henderson, Tennessee, is on track to earn her BBA degree this December. She's also looking forward to getting married in June 2021. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome back, John. Good to be here. Yay. Can you give us a character sketch of Dr. Benjamin Rush? I can give it a try. Okay. Um, In my judgment, he was one of the more gifted of the founding fathers. Uh, His father died relatively young, and he went to school by an uncle who was very well known at the time as sort of an um, evangelist uh, sort of type. Uh, Went to Princeton University and was later uh, partly responsible for recruiting uh, John Witherspoon back to the campus from Scotland, who was a minister. Who was well, right? The only the only clergyman actually who signed the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rush got a medical education after some internship. He did a medical education in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, came back uh, and well, of course, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, where uh, he you know, did the character sketches of people. But he, he continued throughout his life as a, as a social reformer. Uh, he was a very dedicated doctor. He gave his services to rich and poor alike, uh, often in very squalid circumstances. Um, the modern verdict seems to be that his remedies, which were bleeding, blistering, and purging, <laughs> were not particularly effective. But, you know, they were the science of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was later, you know, became a proponent of educational reform, uh, was founder of, of the Sunday school movement, 
actually was one of those who favored a national university, helped found Dickinson University uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. And he was progressive in terms of his attitude toward mental health. He was. Uh, he actually, part of this was sort of grew out of a personal tragedy. Uh, one of his sons uh, had killed someone in a duel and apparently largely as a result of the guilt, it was actually a friend that he had killed, and the, as a result of the guilt that he had felt, he ended up being committed to a mental institution uh, where you know the, the treatments were very primitive, and I don't think it ever very much worked for him. But uh, you know, Rush, Rush was a member of the Enlightenment. One of, one of the fascinating things about him, he's one of the more religious uh, of the Founding Fathers, and yet he had, a, he had a wide acquaintance with other people. Uh, he helped uh, Thomas Paine, for example, uh, in the publication of Common Sense, which sort of was a prelude to the Revolutionary War. And then toward the end of his life, he, he managed to keep a friendship with John Adams, who was a Federalist, and Thomas Jefferson, who was a Democratic Republican. Uh, he managed to keep both as friends even at a time where they despised one another. And tried to get uh, them back together. And, and he did. He, he, he largely is credited with, in the last 10 years or so, uh, he wrote separate letters to Jefferson and Adams, you know, telling them both that, you know, he was sure the other would want to hear from him. Uh, and, you know, as a result, we got 10 or 12 years worth of correspondence between these men that, you know, as some of the greatest in the history of American letters and probably would not have had had someone like Rush not intervened. Since all of these men were assembled to do important work, how did Rush have the time, energy, and presence of mind to make all these observations and jot them down? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, he he worked very hard at, at whatever he did. Um, his I was just reviewing this morning. There are two massive volumes, probably close to 2,000 pages, of his correspondence uh, and then there are many other books that have collected essays and whatever that, that he did. You, you know, one of the fascinating things that intrigued me about the, sort of the, this particular approach to a book is you may remember we did an interview earlier on William Pierce mm -hmm. who had collected character sketches of the individuals in 1787 who attended the Constitutional Convention. And at the time, I did not know that there was a similar – you know, collection of sort of character sketches of the people who had signed the Declaration of Independence. So it was sort of a, a logical compliment. And so uh, the, some of the Pierce sketches were a little uh, uh, hellacious. He'd sort of say something nice and then he'd stab him in the back or he'd give you... Brushes, I think, are a little bit more positive. And, and part of that probably was the time. The, the, the one... One of the things that I find most fascinating about Rush is he was among those who believed that once we eliminated monarchy and, and, the, and, and aristocracy, that sort of people's natural goodness would come to, would flower, uh, the world would get good enough that Jesus could come, come back down. And then as the party system developed, you know, 20 years, however, 11 years, I guess, after this, a little longer than that. Uh, he came to the conclusion that the you know country was going to hell in a handbasket and Christ would have to come back because things were so bad that only he could correct it. So yeah. you, you have these sort of fluctuations sometimes in his assessment of 
you know, where things were. But he, he was generally a fairly, opti- you know, optimistic about Republican government and what it could do. I was going to ask you if you would attribute his largely positive tone to these sketches to maybe his religious upbringing, or did he sincerely think that highly of all of his colleagues? Well, I, th- I think it was a little bit of both. I, I mean, I think he was now, – now, he did get into some conflicts with people, um, there was a the person in charge of um, the military health, Dr. Shippen, and Rush came into major conflict during the Revolutionary War because Rush did not think he was caring adequately for them and thought he was filching some of the money and that sort of thing. But as you know, perhaps you know, as, as suggested by the fact that he can be friends both with Jefferson and Adams when they're at loggerheads, suggests, I think, that he had, you know, he had, he had a pretty e- easygoing personality. We'll sketch out a few sketches after this. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The book is called A Constellation of Great Men by Dr. John Arvile, our guest, the dean of the University Honors College. Uh, It uh, is about the character sketches that Dr. Benjamin Rush of Pennsylvania composed about uh, some of his colleagues who also signed the declaration. Uh, Here's a typical one. Uh, John Hart, a plain, honest, well-meaning Jersey farmer, but with little education, but with good sense and virtue enough to discover the true interest of his country. Uh, Abraham Clark, a sensible but cynical man. He was uncommonly <laughs> quick-sighted in seeing the weakness and defects of public men and measures, which sounds like a euphemistic way of describing somebody who's crabby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> probably it was. <laughs> um Benjamin Franklin, he seldom spoke in Congress, but was useful in committees in which he was punctual and indefatigable. He was a firm Republican and treated kingly power at all times with ridicule and contempt. He early declared himself in favor of independence. John Adams used to say that he was more of a philosopher than a politician. Uh, And it it goes on at uh, some length. Of himself, he merely said he aimed well. Benjamin Rush. That's it, all he wrote about himself. He, he aimed well. He did, and it, you know that again is in contrast to when William Pierce uh, did his description. He made a point of letting people know that you know he had served in the military and he was uh, you know a strong Republican and whatever. the The fascinating thing about that statement is. Rush actually says that it's both the shortest and the best uh, of any of them. And 
I won't say that it's a false modesty, but it does actually stand out because it is only three words, as a, and particularly if you know if you get to the one on John Adams goes on and on and on, and and the one on Jefferson is is fairly long as well. He saved most of his praise for Jefferson. The first sentence is he he possessed a genius of the first order. I mean, where do you go from there? You know. Well, and again, the one the one of Adams is is very similar, and 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 I, I think what you see is, you know, Rush. I think was more more drawn to people of genius than he was perhaps to their ideologies, mm-hmm. uh, and you know he he saw, and they were of course you, you know both extremely real well read, well traveled men, and mm-hmm. uh, and Franklin by the way had actually befriended. Um, rush when he was uh, when he was in Scotland, but e- even so, uh, he uh, did he did talk in, about in, in describing some of these men. He said they were either depending upon the individual, either unduly influenced by state prejudices, right. or relatively free of state prejudices. Would you explain the importance of this? Well, again, you know, it had not been formally adopted, but it, at the time of the the Declaration of Independence, you basically ha- you you had almost as many. It was almost as much of thirteen independent states as it was. Thirteen United States, hence the Articles of Confederation. Which it, it, came exactly, later. and so I, you know, I think in in these sketches, Rush was sort of distinguishing between those that he thought were true nationalists and those that he thought were in Congress, basically trying to advance their own state interest. And you know, you you had again when you get to the Constitutional Convention in 1787, you have much the same kind of conflict going on. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Chase of Maryland. <laughs> this man's life and character was a good deal checkered. He rendered great services to his country by awakening and directing the public spirit of his native state in the first years of the Revolution. Now, you see, there he's praising somebody right. for being a statist instead right. of a federalist. Right. He possessed more learning than knowledge. That's <laughs> interesting. That's what people say about those of us in academia. Sometimes. And, and sometimes it's true, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and more of both than judgment. His person and attitude in speaking were graceful and his elocution commanding, but his speeches were more oratorical. Oratory, he says oratorial. I, I would say right. oratorical right. today. Then logical. Uh, see, he he's not gossipy even when he rakes somebody over the coals for their shortcomings. There's still a sort of discussion as to whether he intended these to be published or not. Yeah. They were basically published, they were basically given to his family and handed down, and I forget the year, but I believe it may have been 1905. It was relatively late that the estate finally decided they would they would publish this. That part of the problem, and, and this may answer your earlier question, how did he find time to do it, we're not actually sure that he composed all of these on the spot. And in fact, you know, some of them seem to have been written sometime later. And in Chase's case, you know, Chase became a Supreme Court justice and was the subject of a, of a very bitter impeachment fight over basically hot-headed instructions that, uh, that Chase, you know, and very partisan instructions that Chase had given to a jury. Mm-hmm. So if it were for the public, 
most of them, you know, probably would have ha- would have known this background there. John Hancock, the man with the biggest signature, he was yes. a man of plain understanding and good education, fond of the ceremonies of public life, but wanted industry and punctuality in business. His conversation was desultory, and his manners much influenced by frequent attacks of the gout, which gave a hypochondriacal peevishness <laughs> to his temper. In 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 that a great line? I yes. mean, <laughs> people don't write like that anymore. What a what a nice way of saying he's a pain in the yeah. ass. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> we'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about A Constellation of Great Men. Uh, It's a book by Dr. John R. Vile in which he examines Dr. Benjamin Rush's exploration or character sketches of his fellow signers of the Declaration of Independence. From your own exploration of these men, would you say that Rush's observations were historically accurate? I think they generally were. Uh, they're consistent with, you know, with what we know. Uh, I have a place in the book where I compare those that overlap with the judgment of Pierce, and they're, they're generally the same. One thing that I might stress and might be as important as the individual uh, sketches, the, the title is actually a title that, that he gave. And if there's an element of pettiness in Rush, it's one that he shared with John Adams, which was both of them thought that their contribution and their very hard work had been overshadowed by Washington and, and also almost by the accident that Thomas Jefferson was the, the person who wrote the Declaration of Independence and got all the credit for rather than he did. And so this, this term, the constellation of great men, is designed to indicate it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just as as Adams feared, you know, the, the history of the revolution is going to be George Washington riding in on a white horse and Benjamin Franklin calling down fire for heaven from heaven. No, it was it was a constellation. You know, a constellation is a, is an astronomical term, and one of the reasons that that I was drawn to that title is, you know, I have an encyclopedia on the American flag, and when the American flag was designed. The, the stars against the blue was designed in, in contrast to, to Europe where you would have the sun king mm-hmm. or George III would be regarded as the sun and everybody revolving around him. When we had, our, you know, the, the so-called Betsy Ross flag, which probably isn't a Betsy Ross flag, but the 13 stars, they're not, 
they're not revolving around a single person or state. They were in a circle. That, that's right, and and then and and it was a constellation that could grow actually, and so you know. And it did. It, it and it has absolutely. But this constellation, uh, of course, these are all white men. We know exactly. this about the founding exactly. fathers, and yet each one of them, thanks to Russia's illumination of them, is. A unique individual. Right. You don't get the idea that any of these guys are whatever they're not their cookie cro- cutter. Right? No, whatever their cronyism may be, they they're not carbon copies of each other. No, and I, I mean the the only thing they sort of have in, as you say, that they are all white men. He sort of, as we suggested earlier, he divides them according to states. And, you know, that gives you some feel for, yes, there's a constellation, but there's some minor planets or something <laughs> going going yeah. on w- w- within them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was Russia's actual contribution to the debate over the Declaration of Independence, aside from the sketches? To my knowledge, there was no direct contribution. I mean, he would have been present. Congress did make a lot of changes mostly deletions in uh, Jefferson's original draft. Um, Sherman Sherman and Franklin, Sher- Sherman, Adams and Franklin with Livingston were on a committee that was officially drafting, and there seems to be some evidence that particularly Adams and Franklin probably made a few sort of grammatical uh, kind of changes. I don't think... I may be incorrect on this, but I don't believe that we actually know which delegate in Congress proposed which changes to the Declaration of Independence. We know what the changes were, but aside from the few that the committee did, we can't actually attribute, you know, who who made this change and who made that one. You're not accustomed to seeing things that were written in that era to be as personal or as chatty as biographies of great men and women are today, like uh, right. uh, he loved his dog, his parents didn't spend much time with yes, him. Yes. You know, those little things that, taken as a whole, eventually mean a lot. You know, I think there was, for the most part, greater focus on their public lives. There is a part of the book in which... He is writing a letter to a fellow named Dr. David Ramsey, and he describes himself as a Christocrat. What did he mean by that? What's interesting about Rush is he was less, he did not particularly emphasize denominations. It was fairly fluid, you know, it was largely raised as a Presbyterian, but some of his, some of his ancestors had been Quakers and some were Baptists. Uh, he was generally in the evangelical, what today we would call sort of the evangelical camp, although toward the end of his life he seems to have become something of a universalist. Uh, but he still believed very strongly, you know, that Christ was the only way of salvation and this sort of thing, but he just believed that it would be eventually opened up to everyone. And this was common in, in the early to to most of the 19th century, that there was this sort of notion of generic Protestantism was conducive to republicanism. It, it promoted good habits, it promoted honesty, it promoted hard work, this kind of thing. He believed that if people could just read the Bible for themselves, they'd come up with the basic truths, and the reason we had denominations was that people on their own would, would selectively read the Bible, and they'd pick out one verse or one chapter, and he ultimately believed that human reason by itself was inadequate. 
uh, particularly when it came to motivation. It's one thing to think, as Jefferson did, that all men are created equal, mm-hmm. but if, you're, if your belief is further based on there's a just God who might do something about it, if you mistreat people, mm-hmm. you might have a greater motivation to free your slaves than if it's just sort of an intellectual thought. But isn't it interesting that as a physician and a rather you know fairly progressive thinking physician of yes. the day, that he does not see or does not appear to see science and religion as competing values. These days, you have atheists who think all religious people are stupid, and you have religious people who think all atheists are sinful, and these are silly extremes that have nothing whatsoever to do with with the way people really live and feel. There was a general view at the time that republicanism was consistent, you know, with religion that was also consistent with right reason. I think there is a greater divide today sort of between the the, the reason folks and the revelation folks that as a whole, now there were some, of course, I mean, you, you had, Rush was shocked when Thomas Paine, who had written Common Sense and used scriptural arguments, you know, then writes The Age of Reason in which he basically trashes scripture and, you know, any, anyone who believes in God. But for the most part, that was more typical of what you would see later in the French Revolution, uh, you know, the goddess of reason and this sort of thing. And Americans tended to be, I think, for in, in a good way, but believing they could have their cake and eat it too, you know, the, right. the, the two were, were compatible with one another. One of the ironies of Calvinism, which is you know, often accused of believing everything is sort of predestined. The sociological effect of Calvinism seems to be that people work very hard to prove that they were the elect that they claimed to be. Mm -hmm. So you, you have an element of that with Rush. The book is called A Constellation of Great Men. Dr. John R. Vile is the author. Talbot Publishing is the publisher. And it's uh, both uh, an intellectual and academically astute read, and it is a very accessible read. John, thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. 5,000 incoming MTSU freshmen and transfer students are visiting campus from May to early August as part of Customs Orientation. Lydia Caton, coordinator of New Student and Family Programs, provides details. 
Customs is our orientation program here at MTSU, and we have two different programs. We offer one for transfer students coming in from other universities, and then we offer our freshman program. And our transfer program is a one-day program. Freshman Customs is a day and a half, and we provide programming for students and parents and uh, guests that come with their students. So we provide a lot of different support for everybody who's involved in um, this transition to coming to the universities. We plan everything from um, support outside of the classroom to academically we work with students to get their schedules so while they're here at customs they will register for their classes meet with their academic advisors and plan out their academic career here at MTSU. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.